Father, as we come before you this morning in prayer, Father, we thank you that your word tells us that your wisdom is profound and your power is vast, that who can ever resist you and come out unscathed. You're the God who moves mountains without people knowing. You overthrow mountains in your anger and you shake the earth from its place and its pillars tremble. You speak to the sun and it does not shine. You can seal off the lights of the stars. You alone stretch out the heavens and treads upon the waves of the sea. So Father, we come to you, an almighty God who reigns over this world. There is nothing you cannot do. So Father, as we humbly come before you at this moment in worship, we pray that in your sovereignty, that you will melt our hearts, that the Holy Spirit will come and tremble our souls before you, just like you tremble the pillars of the earth, tremble the pillars of our souls so that our reliance on ourselves will fall into the heart of the sea and that we will have no more pillars of ourselves to lean upon but simply to cling on to Jesus. Father, as you move mountains and overthrow them into the sea, Father, do that in our hearts this morning. Take the mountains of this belief and doubts and overthrow them and throw them into the sea. Father, these are words from Job as he prays to you and as we use his words this morning to pray to you. Father, may you work in our hearts that your work and your word will not go void. Work in our hearts this morning as we listen to your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. When I was younger, I never liked John Calvin. I knew John Calvin was one of the most important theologians of the church, and his writings were sine qua non to the Reformed faith. But I never liked John Calvin as a young student because he was never as personal as Martin Luther. Other than a few places in his commentaries, Calvin seldom talked about himself. Unlike Martin Luther, who threw an ink well at the devil, John Calvin always appeared very poised and composed. Unlike Luther, who affectionately called his wife Luthest pigtails, we don't hear such a faction from Calvin. Unlike Luther, who was not afraid of expressing his anger and frustrations at Zwingli over communion, we don't hear too much about uh, Calvin expressing his woes and his wills. But this is a very, very superficial understanding of John Calvin. As I grew older, I began to appreciate John Calvin a little bit more. Calvin, like Luther and many of God's holy servants, never had it easy. Despite Calvin's brilliance in the pulpit, he was never good in dealing with politics. So when the city council insisted, when he was the pastor of Geneva, when the city council insisted of the use of unleavened bread for communion, 
Kelvin and his assistant William Farrell opposed it and opposed to the idea strongly. And this led to a great riot in the city of Geneva. Instead of trying to smooth things out with the city council, what happened is that as a result, on Easter Sunday in the year 1538, the city council kicked John Kelvin and William Farrell out of the church. This means that John Kelvin was removed as the pastor of his church, just only being there for only two years. And you may say, what idiot <laughs> would they ever throw out or fire one of the world's best preachers? But Calvin did lose his job. And while Calvin was on his run, and while he was going nowhere, things getting to started to get from bad to worse. As they say, when it rains, it pours. Calvin at this point faced a torrential downpour. Not only was he jobless, he lost his home, and he had no family, because at this time, Calvin was still single. Imagine the loneliness John Calvin felt as he was boosted out of his, uh, oosted out of his church, as he was on the run. And to add salt to his wound during this time, he received a letter from his best friend, Louis de Tillet. Louis de Tillet. Calvin had known Louis de Tillet for a long time. Calvin used to live with Louis de Tillet, and both of them used to read scriptures together, they used to pray together, but it was when Calvin was at his lowest, his best friend de Tillet wrote a letter questioning Calvin and his calling as a pastor. And Calvin was at this time when he was at his lowest, he was shaken by this letter. For, he, for the first time, he started to doubt the validity of his ministry as a pastor. And after all, Louis de Tillet wasn't just an acquaintance. He was Calvin's best friend. And to hear such a snipey letter from his best friend, Calvin was shaken in his soul. And he had no wife, no family to console him. And he was on the run at this time. Maybe you have been in Calvin's shoes. Everything bad comes tumbling down on you at once. The loss of a job happening at the same time as the betrayal of your best friend. The loss of your home and your beloved church kicked you out the door. Maybe you have been in Calvin's shoes. When everything bad seems to pour down incessantly at a single what do you do? What do I do? The prophet Daniel in the Bible also had a share of disappointments and sufferings. When Daniel was first brought to Babylon to serve in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel was just simply a young chap. But by the time we come to chapter 5 in the book of Daniel, 66 years have passed. Daniel, by the time of Daniel chapter 5, must already be in his, his 80s. He's no longer that dashing, youthful dude that who could run, uh, uh, who could fast before the king. Now he has uh, gray hair, perhaps, a wrinkled face, 
perhaps he's still fasting, not because he wants to, but because if he doesn't, he has, he'll have indigestion. 66 years have passed. And God had first promised 66 years ago that he will knock out the foreign leaders, that God will set up his mountain so that all the Jews can come back and be like Moses going up the mountain of the Lord where they will hear from God and hear and learn again and sit at the feet of God again and see the glory of God. But 66 years have passed and there was nothing of that sort that had happened. There was nothing but silence. I don't know if you, if, 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 if you were Daniel, how you would have felt. Most likely I would have felt was I really called as a prophet? Was my interpretation of the dream in chapter 2 correct? Did God really promise that He will restore the kingdom of Israel? That He will set up His mountain and the people will come back to worship Him? Or was this all just my imagination? Why this silence? Silence for 66 years. I know for some of the older folks, 66 years doesn't look, doesn't sound that long. But 66 years is indeed a long time. And now 66 years later in Daniel chapter 5, God asked, By now King Nebuchadnezzar had long been dead. In fact, after Nebuchadnezzar, four other kings have come and gone. Now we have a new king on the throne in Babylon. His name is King Belshazzar. Belshazzar is actually the son of the final king of the new Babylonian Empire. But because his father was always away out of town, uh, Belshazzar takes on the role of the king. And that's why in Daniel chapter 5, he's called the king. And so he's in charge. Daniel chapter 5 begins with King Belshazzar throwing a big banquet. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Daniel chapter 5. And let's look at this chapter closer. So Daniel chapter 5. Turn on your Bibles to Daniel chapter 5. And let's look at verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold tablets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. It's during this banquet, we are told that something very strange happened. As they were drinking and pouring wine and dancing and, and, and eating at this big banquet of all the guests around, the Bible tells us that something strange happened. Something that was quite spooky that you would expect from a Stephen King movie. What happened? We know from verse 5. Let's look at verse 5, what happened. While this feast was going on, verse 5 tells us, Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared 
and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. Why did God appear with fingers? And God was using his fingers to write on the plaster of the wall in the royal palace. Why fingers? Why did God not use a laser beam, beam or a pencil or a pen or a chisel? Why fingers? In chapter 2, of Daniel, God says that he will set up his mountain where the people will come back to worship him. Remember when Moses went up the mountain of God of called Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus, what happened? God met with Moses and God gave Moses the Ten Commandments written on two stone tablets. What was significant about these two stone tablets? The Ten Commandments were carved out on these stone tablets not with a pen, not with a laser beam, but what does Exodus chapter 31 verse 18 tells us? The Ten Commandments were carved out. The words were carved out on these stone tablets with what? The very fingers of God. What is God saying here? After 66 years, God is saying, I still remember, Daniel, my promise to you, I am still here. I will lead my people out of Babylon and they will come to my mountain. And my mountain is already in your midst. Just as Moses was on my mountain, saw my fingers writing, now you see my fingers fingers writing again. After 66 years, God speaks again through his fingers. But there are always two kinds of reactions towards the fingers of God whenever God speaks through his fingers. And we want to look at it, look at this today. Two kinds of reactions. Firstly, to the un unregenerate, God's word always brings confusion and fear. When God's hands were at this wall, or God's fingers, not even his hands, his fingers were at this wall, were writing, what was the initial reaction from the king? Let's look at verse 5. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale. He was frightened that his leg became weak and his knees were knocking. The original Aramaic is in fact quite humorous. It actually says that when the king saw the fingers, his countenance changed. His thoughts troubled him so that the knots of his hips were loosened. What are the knots of his hips were loosened? What does that mean? It means that the king was so frightened that he... His hips, the knots of his were, 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 were loosened. He wet his pants and his knees knocked together. The great king in front of his nobles, in front of his, his wives and his concubines was so frightened about the hand, the fingers on the wall that the poor king wet his own pants. And he was so perplexed that he had to call his mommy the queen mother in verse 10 for help. 
There's supposed to be some humor, even in your Old Testament, to show how confused and frightened the king was when he saw the hands, or the, the fingers. To the king, the writing on the wall by the fingers of God was nothing but fear and confusion. It caused so much confusion that the king's enchanters, his astrologers, his diviners could not even unravel. What does this have to say to us? God's word doesn't always bring comfort and hope. Sometimes we always long for God to speak, that for God to give us a word. But to those hearts who are unregenerate, God's word often brings fear and confusion. The words of, the words of God sometimes can do that to us. We may have a PhD, just like Nebuchadnezzar's a wise man and, 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 and astrologers, and still not be able to understand it. It just simply causes fear. Why? Because in order to understand God's Word, we need the Holy Spirit to open to us. If the Holy Spirit's not at work in our hearts to open us to God's Word, when God speaks to us, all we can respond is in fear and confusion. Just like the king, when he saw the fingers of God, his only reaction was fear and confusion. And that's why we need the Spirit to open up our hearts. Every time when we have a baptism service, I would always invite our baptismal candidates to give a 5-10 to 10 minute testimony before the church. And they usually will share about how they come to know Christ and, uh, and over the years I've heard many of these testimonies. A large proportion of these testimonies run along these lines. They will always say, well I came from a Christian family, I went to church all my life, but I've never heard the gospel until my uncle, my teacher, my Sunday school teacher, my camp counselor, uh, my brother, or my uncle, whatever, explain it to me. Why do these people say that? That I've been to church, but I've never heard the gospel. Well, 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 I know that there are pastors in churches who don't preach the gospel. But most likely, many of these people may have heard the gospel. The pastor may have preached it every Sunday, but it just slides by them. And they never really, really know what it means. It's not that they don't understand it. It's that they don't see its significance and its impact until, until the Holy Spirit breaks into their hearts and opens it to them. So this is the same thing with Nebuchadnezzar, uh, with Belshazzar and, 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 and the people who are unregenerate. When they see the words of God, when they see God writing the wall, their first reaction was fear. Why? Because you need the Holy Spirit to open our hearts, to understand it. And it's only when the Holy Spirit starts to work that we begin to start to understand and grasp it. We may have heard it many times, but we need the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to grasp it. In my free time, I've been learning how to play the guitar. I've been taking lessons from a teacher uh, and he's brilliant in his guitar playing, but he's not a Christian. And every time he would ask me to pick songs uh, that I want to learn, and he would teach me, of course I would pick a good 
Christian worship songs. Many of the songs I've picked speak plainly about the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. And despite talking to him about the song, discussing its lyrics and how the melody is put together and is brilliant in talking about these things, my teacher never seems to be able to grasp the gospel. And I'm praying that through persistency and continual exposure to the Word of God through the songs, that God will open his heart to embrace the gospel. Unless God's Spirit is at work, God's Word will always be confusion and terror to those who are unregenerate. Secondly, the second response to the Word of God is that to degenerate, to the regenerate in the heart, God's Word brings hope and wisdom. To the regenerate in the heart, God's Word brings hope and wisdom. When the wise men in Babylon could not interpret their writing on the wall, the Queen Mother wanted the king to bring in Daniel. What was special about Daniel? Well, let's find out. Verse 10. Don't be alarmed, the Queen Mother said. Don't look so pale to the king. There is a man in your kingdom who has a spirit of the holy gods in him. In this, in the time of your father, he was found to have insight intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Daniel was different from the other Babylonian wise men. Why? Because he had the spirits of the gods. Daniel had the Spirit of God living in him. So after 66 years, Daniel makes, his sec makes another entrance into the king's banquet hall. And what was actually written on the wall? According to verse 25, when God's fingers appeared and started writing on the plaster of the wall, God's fingers carved out four Aramaic words. And verse 25 tells us what those four Aramaic words are. The first word is mané. Mané simply is Aramaic for numbered. And then the second word is also mané. Takel meaning weighed. And then the last word pazin or perest in the singular meaning divided. So they were just four simple Aramaic words that any person with an elementary skill in reading Aramaic should be able to read. So why is it that the king and his wise men couldn't read those simple Aramaic words? Well, Old Testament scholars have lots of opinions as to why the wise men and the king couldn't read those words. But let's, uh, here's what I think. <laughs> I don't think the issue is that the king and the wise men couldn't read those words. Rather, they couldn't understand what those four words meant and its significance for their lives. So that's why they brought in Daniel, who with the Spirit of God in him was able to interpret these words. So what do these words mean? What, what significance does this have? Let's have Daniel tell us. Verse 26, Daniel tells us, Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perest, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. 
What is Daniel saying here? Daniel is saying to the king, King Belshazzar, God has many and numbered your days. In fact, you are going to die tonight. God has tekel, has weighed you and find you wanting. Why? Because you have not given weight to me. You have taken my holy vessels and used that as entertainment tools. You have not given enough weight and glory to me. You have not honored me through your actions. You have found wanting. And now your kingdom will perish, will be divided. Because after tonight you will die. Your kingdom will be overtaken by the Medes and the Persians. Though the message was for the king, the message was also for Daniel and for the Jews. King Belshazzar was punished at night because he did not give weight, did not give priority, did not honor God. What is God saying to Daniel and, his, and the Jews? Don't think I have forgotten you. Don't think I've forgotten you. My plans are still great. I'm still in control. I can get rid of the foreign kings as I promised in chapter 2 almost immediately in a single night. Do not worry. Trust me. My mountain is amongst you right now. See my hands, my fingers. You may not understand my plans right now, but do not be like King Belshazzar. Give way to me. Honor me. Trust me, give me priority at this time and watch my fingers work. What does God have to say to us? When you feel that the world is crumbling around you, when you're just like Calvin and everything seems to fall down in a torrential downpour, when you've lost your job, when you have no family beside you, when the church you love kicked you out when you are a refugee on the run with nowhere to go and your future looks bleak. Listen to what God says. Wherever you are, that's where the mountain of God is. The finger of God is still writing. God is still giving you words. Give weight to Him. Prioritize Him in your life. Make Him important. Make Him big. Give yourself entirely to Him and His cause. Trust Him. And you will not find yourself hopeless. Many years later, there was a woman who had messed up her life. In her own lust and her own loneliness, she had sex with a married man. Initially, no one knew about it. Finally, someone told the teachers of the law and the Pharisees about her. So while she was having sex with her married lover, she was caught red-handed. She knew that her life was over when the Pharisees came to her door and started pounding it. She knew what the laws of the Old Testament was, that all adultery and adulterous women will be, will be stoned to death. <coughs> she knew that the death penalty awaited her. So before she could even get dressed properly, she was, the door was broken down and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law came in and they dragged her out. 
and they dragged this adulterous woman out and they brought her to a mountain. She was dragged up this mountain called Mount of Olives. And on top of this mountain sat a rabbi. She had heard a little bit about this rabbi. She knew his name was Jesus, Rabbi Jesus. She was brought to stand before this rabbi with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and all the nosy Marys in town gathering around her and around this rabbi named Jesus. There was silence. She closed her eyes, waiting for the stone to be thrown at her. She was waiting for Rabbi Jesus to take the biggest piece of boulder and throw it away because she knew that she deserved death. She had committed adultery and sin. But nothing came. So she opened her eyes and she saw nosy Mary standing opposite of her, so ready to tell the latest gossip to her friends. She saw the fire of anger in the eyes of the Pharisees all standing across of her. And she saw the anger in the faces of the teachers of the law. Then she saw Rabbi Jesus. She wasn't really clear what Rabbi Jesus was thinking. He was just sitting on the mountain there. But Rabbi Jesus didn't pick up a stone. Rather, while everyone was gathered around him, Rabbi Jesus bent down and started to use his fingers, not even his hands, his fingers only, to write in the sand. There was silence. She could hear a pin drop. As Rabbi Jesus kept writing in the sand, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the nosy Marys, all walked away. Afterwards, Rabbi Jesus straightened up and looked at this adulterous woman and looked around. There was no one but the adulterous woman standing alone. Jesus then asked, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir. No one, she said. Then I do not condemn you either. Go now and leave your life of sin. Why did the people walk away? The fingers. Jesus responded with his fingers. Only God writes with his fingers. Only God writes with his fingers on his mountain. And where was Jesus? Jesus was on top of a mountain and Jesus wrote with his fingers just as God wrote with his fingers in the book of Exodus at Mount Sinai and gave Israel the law. Jesus here is saying, I am God, the same God, the same God as in the book of Exodus and I too write with my hands. I am the God of Israel and I write with my hands and when I write, I say that she is forgiven. Who then? Dare you condemn her? That's why the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, all left. Because if God was willing to forgive her, who were they to condemn her? The fingers 
of Jesus. Save this woman. Just like the fingers of God saved Israel out of Egypt. Just like the fingers of God saved Daniel out of the grasp of the Babylons. The fingers What can we take away from this? God shows up in unexpected places. And it's the same God who shows up. The same God who showed up at Mount Sinai and gave Moses the law. The same God who showed up at Mount of Olives. Jesus who gave his law of forgiveness to the lady who committed adultery. And it's the same God that will appear to us in our moments when we are lost and when he starts writing nobody dares to refute him because he will have the final say your circumstances will not have the final say it will not spell your ruin the fingers of God will have the final say what then will be our response? Give way to Him. Honor Him. Trust Him that His fingers will save us. Look for His fingers. Give weight to His Father, we come before you this morning and we pour our hearts before you. Father, at times when we walk through the most difficult times, when the torrential downpours are all around us, you remind us that we are standing on holy ground. That your mountain is with us that you still write and your writings, your word will have the final say. Not our circumstances, not what we think, but it's what you think. So Father, for us who are struggling, help us to give weight to Jesus, to honor Him, to trust Him, to give Him our best, even at this time. To know that His words will always prevail. So Father, we come in these holy moments. We thank You that You have spoken to our hearts. That even when the woman who had committed adultery in John chapter 8, could find hope in the forgiveness of Jesus. Likewise, we can come and find hope in Jesus, in your Son. So help us, Lord God, to give weight, to give honor to Him. Let us not be like King Belshazzar, who was weighed and was found wanting, because he never honored the glory of God. Help us to make 
you glorious in our lives by honoring you, trusting you, savoring you above all things. In Jesus' name, amen.